I want to invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 2 this morning. We're kind of talking about God's faithfulness in times of transition. And we're all in that, we're feeling that, we're thankful for how good and gracious the Lord is and how he has been faithful so long to this ministry. But I'd like us to see this classic story. It's a wonderful story in the Old Testament. And uh, I have taken great comfort and encouragement from it, and I hope that you all will as well. This shows the contrast between a people who desire genuinely to trust in the power of God in contrast to those who insist on consulting the wisdom of the world. In fact, if you look at most of the Old Testament, the reason I think it's so hefty, so thick in the middle is because of the story of this flat-out, wanton absence of genuine spiritual leadership. Most of the Old Testament has to do with how God ordained and determined to deliver His revelation, His message to God's people through the ministry of spiritual leaders, uh, the kings primarily, and the prophets. That's what most of the Old Testament is comprised of. And it, it's, it's significant, isn't it? If you just look at your scriptures, uh, starting with the end of, of the Pentateuch, you see most of the Old Testament has to do with God working with his people Uh, ordaining uh, kings and prophets to oversee the spiritual leadership of his people. And it's hard to watch in most cases. With the exception of a couple of godly kings, and there were really only a few, uh, this, this was a difficult, difficult scene. You see, at that time there were no churches, congregations, elders, deacons, pastors, but there was the people of God. Israel, God's people, and the kings and the prophets that were appointed to shepherd God's flock or his people Israel. And these kings, save a mere few, were dismal failures. That's why God had to raise up prophets to speak back into the lives of God's people and to challenge these these kings to get their hearts and lives back in line with God's ordained laws and ways. And they simply refused time and time again to follow the Lord and trust his word and the provision of his power, which he promised in unlimited supply. Instead, they remained. They remained attached to things of the world, making sure things gotten taken care of by consulting gods, the gods of Baal, the gods of the Philistines, and relying on secular wisdom. And we have a whole chronicle of that kind of time, that that season of turmoil that is basically the Old Testament Scriptures. So I want us to see a story, this story um, as it relates to the ministry of Elijah during the time of these kings, and draw some principles from the Word of God. Do you remember later in the New Testament where Paul writes towards the end of his letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, he says, Do not be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the vision of the New Testament. That we, that we no longer kind of give ourselves to this kind of worldly approach 
to living our lives and, and following after a God. We, we don't conform to the way the world thinks, the way the world conducts their affairs. That, that's the challenge of the New Testament. But rather, there is a supernatural transformation of the way we think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a miracle. It happens as a result of the Spirit of God alive and at work in us through the ministry of the Word of God. That's how our lives are transformed. We are not to be conformed to the ways of the world, for instance, in the way we operate our our relationship with our mates in marriage. We are not to be conformed to the standards of the world, regardless of what comes down from the powers that be. I saw an article in U.S. Today that said this. This is, this, this is basically what it said. The case is closed on Obamacare and gay marriage. The case is closed. Well, we'll see. But that's worldly wisdom. We don't conform to the way the world operates and thinks in any aspect of the way we live our lives. But we are transformed. Our minds don't think that way. We don't, necess- we don't allow ourselves to just default to kind of worldly thought processes. That's the challenge. But it's a supernatural, it's a miraculous transformation whereby we are able to follow after God and our lives are changed and those around us and closest to us are also impacted by that transformation. That's the idea. These kings, these prophets, had to speak into the lives of these kings because they were so convinced of the value of conforming to the world. And we see... In this story, the fallacy of that kind of approach. And there's some principles for all of us, I think. This is a story about Elijah and the people he was called to lead and serve who were relentless in their insistence on following human institutions and following after God's rather than consulting and trusting in the Lord for his supply. Now let's just take a look at how this kind of this story begins. We have to go back to 2 Kings chapter 1 to kind of set the scene. Uh, Ahab, at the beginning of this chapter, is dead. Um, Moab is rebelling against Israel. And Ahaziah, who is now the, um, the, the succeeding king, has an accident. He falls through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria, and, and he was devastated physically. He lay sick, the scripture says. So here's this king now who is a representative, he is a shepherd of the flock of Israel. That is his ordained responsibility to oversee God's people as the king of Israel. And, 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 and what happens to him is tragic, um, but he literally falls through the lattice from his bedroom, his upper chamber, down and is critically injured. Now these things happen, right? And so watch this. He, he, he sent messengers telling them, go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. Do you see that? Here is an overseer of God's people, ordained of God to lead his people. He is now faced with a, a, a dire situation, and he sends representatives of his government To consult the gods of Baal. (laughs) 
That's bad leadership. It's tragic. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, here's the prophet, the Tishbite, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. God intervenes. He intercepts this plan through the ministry of Elijah. He intercepts this, this kind of, um, this fallacy, this plan. And he says to them, uh, he says to, them uh, to Elijah, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now listen, I want you to write, underline that question, circle it. You're going to hear it so many times in this story. Is it because there is no God that you have determined to seek after the God of Baal? Well, that is a penetrating question. It, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an edge of sarcasm to it, but it, it, it lands. Why are you doing this when you have the God of heaven at your disposal? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, why have you to return? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, you could say it with me, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? There it is again. That's twice in the story. Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone, but shall surely die. Isn't that something? He said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered, well, he wore a garment of hair cloth with a girdle of leather about his loins. And the king said, that's Elijah. He knew exactly who he had heard from just heard from the Lord. The king sent 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. 50 men off the planet because of this kind of spiritual leadership, they're gone. See the problem? Again, the king sent to him another uh, captain and 50 men with his. And he went up and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered him, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. 101, 102 men now gone off the planet. And again the king sent the captain of a third 50 and his 50 and the third captain of 50 went up. <laughs> now this guy's a little smarter than the first two. He falls on his knees before Elijah and he begs him. <laughs> He's heard what happened to the first couple of 
um, groups, oh man of God, I pray you let, let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. He's deviating a little bit from the king's orders, and who wouldn't? Lo, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50. Now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said, Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he rose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Here it is again. Listen. Is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? (laughs) Wow. It's because there is no God that you insist on conforming to the ways and wisdom of the world to lead my people a story. Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God which Elijah had spoken. Jehoram, his brother, became king in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? It's all there. The evidence is all there. Ekron. (laughs) These were Philistines, if you could imagine. This was a noted, there was a, there was a temple for Baal at Ekron. This, this is where this king turned. He turned to the gods of these pagans, this kind of worldly wisdom in order to oversee and, and hear, hear the future of his people. Zephaniah prophesied the destruction of this city. Zephaniah chapter 2, if you read that passage, here's what it says. It won't take you long to read it. Ekron shall be rooted up, period. (laughs) That's it. Wow. Listen, the life of faith is a supernatural life. The life of faith is not to be lived in the human realm, within human capacity and ingenuity. Those are all gifts of God, but they are to be lived in the unseen world of the supernatural power and provision of God. Faith is the essence of things unseen. That's what the New Testament says. We trust not in what we see. Our confidence is who in whom we, we have not seen, but yet we trust. We trust in God. That's faith. And it pleases Him. Is it because there is no God that you continue to rely on your own wisdom and power and consult the gods of this world? What an offense to Almighty, especially in a critical time like this, in 2 Kings chapter 2, 
to be guided by anything other than the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Now chapter 2 opens with the presentation of the need. I love this. Let's get to this story. Because this, someone ought to make a movie about this story. Because this, this would be wonderful given to kind of the imagination of one of these talented movie directors. The beginning of Second uh, Kings 2. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. That, that's, the, that's the imminent period of transition that we're talking about here. The Lord knew this. There was an appointed time and it was near. He was about to take Elijah, the prophet of Israel, up to heaven by a whirlwind. I take it this was some sort of tornado experience. The turning of the atmosphere um, in, in, in a ferocious kind of manner, like a tornado or a cyclone. And that's what God was going to use to, to take Elijah from earth and translate him to heaven. Now, is there anyone here in this room that would like to diagram from a, from a physics standpoint how that might actually occur? Possibly... Possibly, it might be possible um, to, to, to kind of sketch that out from a scientific or a physics standpoint until you reach the point where atmosphere ends and heaven begins. You see, the scripture doesn't say that the Lord was about to take Elijah off the planet and suck him into space. Right? 8,000 miles from Pluto. Have you seen the photos? That's pretty impressive. Huh? That's great, isn't it? Now that's pretty impressive. It took that thing 10 years to get there. Did anybody know 10 years ago they shot that thing into space? Anybody out there? Man, I didn't. Dave Black. Dave, you know everything. That's great. How about that? And it took over four hours for the images to, re- to return to Earth. It's just mind-boggling to me. You know, a billion miles away. It's just mind-boggling. But listen, we did that. We got that gizmo within 8,000 miles of, of Pluto and got some photos and sent them back. They're on Facebook for crying out loud. Nobody's ever been lifted from earth like that. Translated through the atmosphere into space, past the reaches of the borders of the universe, and translated into the unseen portals of the heavenly places. That's supernatural. Only God does that. See where we are? See what we're dealing with here? There's nothing human about this. This this is historical. And they were on their way from Gilgal. You remember Gilgal? That's significant because Gilgal was that, that place where Joshua, you remember, was to lead God's people across the flooded Jordan plain into the promised land. You remember that story? Do you remember what God told Joshua? Get the priests, have them grab the ark, that's the word of God, and get down to the river and tell all the people that as soon as those priests stepped into the river, 
They were to rise up and follow. And when they do, guess what's going to happen? The waters are going to heap up on the right, and they're going to heap up on the left, and y'all are going to walk into the promised land on dry ground. And at Gilgal, he said, get one man from every tribe and have them bring a stone, and I want you to build an altar there. It's going to be a memorial altar, because when your kids come back to this place to fish... During the church picnic, they're going to say, what up with these stones? And you can say, well, let me tell you a story about when God did this for us. We followed the Ark of the Covenant, and those men stepped into the waters. And you're never going to believe this. God moved the waters on the right and heaped them up like a mountain. And he moved the waters on the left and heaped them up like a mountain. And you, us and your granny and your great-granny and great-grandpa and all of us, we walked across on dry land into the promised land. And you're going to be able to tell your kids that that's how great and powerful and faithful God is. That's Gilgal. They had just left Gilgal, Elijah and Elisha. Do you think Elijah rehearsed that story with Elisha? You bet he did. See what we're dealing with here, folks? This is, this, there's nothing, you can't, be, you can't be conforming to the ways of the world when you're facing this, this type of reality with God's work. You see, wow, this is powerful. They were coming from Gilgal. This is how you know that the Lord is with you. He's going to do something like that. It's going to be dramatic. If you follow his word, if you do what he says, he will demonstrate his power. And you're going to be able to tell your children about that. And then they're going to tell their children about that. And it's going to increase their faith. And a whole generation is going to follow after a God who is powerful. That's, that's what happened in the scriptures. They, they were coming from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, now you stay here. I pray that you'll stay for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, I like this, no way. I'm sticking by you as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. There was a partnership here. There was a, there was a ministry together. So they went down to Bethel and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take up your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Hold your peace. Basically said, stop talking. I like that. Hold your peace. Not another word about that. Elijah said to him, Elisha, now you tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho, another key place of powerful victory when God's people followed the Lord and his word and marched around that city seven times, shouted and clapped and blew the trumpet. How about that? That's how God took Jericho. You want us to do what? <laughs> Joshua, are you serious? You, you want us to, you want the choir to go first? Are you serious? That's what God said. You see, we're not conformed to the ways of the world. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's a supernatural experience overseeing and following after the work of God. There's a higher, more exalted way. It's the way of faith, trusting in the power and provision of God. 
Now let's go back to the story. Here he goes, Jericho, the sons of the prophets were at Jericho too. They drew near to Elisha. They were all looking at Elisha. They knew what was about to happen and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Stop talking about it. Then Elijah said to him, Terry, here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. There it is, the mighty Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance. (laughs) These guys, have they learned? They're going to watch, but they're going to watch from a distance. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, you got to give them a little credit for that. They were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle. He rolled it up. And he struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could walk over, go over on dry ground. How about that? Is that powerful or what? It's Elijah. He remembers the power of God. Man, I'm going to try this. <laughs> Elijah's standing there, those 50 guys watching, they saw the whole thing. It's amazing. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him over against them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests rests on this man. Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, I pray you, and you know, let me inherit a double share. Whatever you got, I want twice of that. I want double. And he said, you have a, you've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, now watch this, a chariot of fire and horses of fire. Doesn't say where they came from. They just appeared. A chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. So while they're walking, they're on the other side of the Jordan now. This magnificent, miraculous, mysterious phenomenon occurred. All of a sudden, there were fiery horses and fiery chariots that were on the scene and went right between Elijah and Elisha. And then the whirlwind. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He was gone. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He was just overwhelmed. And then he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. And he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, his cloak, his coat. And he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, Oh man, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? What a contrast between Ahaziah and Elisha. Where is God? We need God. We need God. 
God, the maker of the heavens of the earth, the one who parted the Red Sea. We need that God. We need God, the one who rolled up the Jordan River on the right and on the left and God's people crossed on dry land. We need that God. Where is God? We need the God who brought down Jericho by the sound of marching Israelites and sounds of trumpet and singing. We need that God. Elisha says, where is God? Praise his name. Love that. Elijah moves into this place with his heart and mind all, even his voice focused on the Lord. And that, that is, in essence, what genuine spiritual ministry and leadership is all about. To point and lead God's people over and over and more and more, and at every turn and juncture into a genuine and supernatural experience of the power and provision of God, Almighty God. It's a passage in the New Testament that is an anchor passage for me personally it's the apostle Paul as he wrote to the believers at Corinth listen to this nothing changed in the advent of the church Paul says when I came to you brethren I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God in lofty words or wisdom For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in much fear and trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but only in the power of God." Praise His glory. Now that's leadership. I don't want you to trust me. I don't want you to trust my giftedness, my ability to turn a phrase or to impress you with my words or my prowess. I want you to trust in God. I want you to see my weakness. I want you to see my frailty. I want you to feel the press of my human limitations so that I can all the way point you to the power and provision of God. Because on the other end of this process, on the turn of the Jordan River, I want you to be resting not in the wisdom of men, but only and wholly in the power of God. Because he is the one who is able to take and move an individual and transform and supply a ministry in critical times because so much is at stake. The Bible says that we are his workmanship. The sheep of his pasture. This is his work. And we don't want anyone coming to us or to this place, nor do I ever believe they would, and say, Is it because there is no God in heaven? 
that you are trusting in the wisdom of men, but rather let's fall humbly and confidently before him and say like Elisha, where is God? We need God. We need God. My knees have gone weak in the last few days. I'll confess I had to sit my family down after some time in the Word. There's a lot out there in front of us, a lot out there in front of you. I know that. And we don't want to be overly dramatic, but real. I finally just kind of bowed my head and opened the Word. I'd opened up to, I opened up to the first beginning of Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah chapter 1. And before he pronounces some very strong judgments on the people of Israel, God said this to Isaiah to tell God's people, if you are willing and will obey, you will eat of the fruit of the land. So I sat my little family down. The Lord had to humble me, bring me back to a center point. My doubting and my anxiety and my concern over all of these things that have to come to pass on behalf of me and my family and all of you, he reminded me, you be willing, you obey, and you will eat of the fruit of the land. That's a metaphor for blessing. And I sat my kids down and I said, listen, I know this is hard. I know you have big question marks in your minds. And you are experiencing uncertainty and even fear and a sense of how is this all going to work but here's what the Lord says if we are willing and we obey we will eat the fruit of the land he will bless us he will be faithful and provide because he is God so thankful Elisha got the power (laughs) is it because there is no God in heaven that we insist on relying on ourselves what do we need him to do The same thing God's people for ages have needed him to do. We need him to part the waters. We need dry land. No casualties. No losses. Just the promised land. When we follow his word, his men, the men that God has ordained to lead this flock and trust Him. He will be faithful. Let's pray together.
thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the men who you have ordained in this place, who have sought you, and who will lead this people through this time. Fill them with your spirit. Open the minds and hearts of your people, Lord, to your voice and your leading through this process. And let them eat of the fruit of the land. We'll praise you. We will exalt your name. You'll get all the glory. And we'll be transformed. Oh, we desire it so. In Jesus' name. Amen.